When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast with me, Dave Hendon. Now, this week I caught up with Mark King. We had a chat in Belfast, of course, the scene last year of his great triumph in the Northern Ireland Open. Mark's been a professional since 1991. He's one of the circuit's great characters. I really enjoyed my chat with him, and I hope you do too. Mark, let's start by talking about how you got into snooker. What was your introduction to the sport? Uh, Well, my older brother, Andrew, um, is a carpet fitter. And uh, the Romford Luciana, where obviously Steve Davis started out, my brother used to go out there every day. And obviously, being his younger brother, I was six years younger. I think I was about nine, nine and a half at the time. And he was always coming in from work, going out, going out. And where are you going? I was at the suit club. And it just basically happened from there. I, I went up there with him one day and played a game of snooker. Um, and still to this day, I can still remember the first ball I ever potted. And it was really weird because the white was like in the jaws of the green pocket. <laughs> the red was like on the blue spot. And I literally potted the red in, in the black hole and followed the white in. I remember that being one of my very first... And for some reason, it just <laughs> stuck in my mind. Yeah, um, yeah and, and ever since that day, I sort of just fell in love with snooker. And obviously, the Luciana in Romford was like a magical club, just full yeah. of characters, yeah. full of um, you know gangsters, pikeys, and <laughs> just people, wheelers and dealers, fights going on, and people putting their fists through the fruit machines. Proper stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, it, listen, you could write a book on that yeah. club, just the people that you scan it, but it was fantastic, it was all like, everyone knew everyone, and, yeah. and it was fantastic, and, that, and what, once I sort of went in there, I loved it, and it was smoke-fueled, and you know, pasties and sausage rolls is all they had to eat, and it was brilliant, really. Mm. And that's where that's where I started. Loved yeah. it, absolutely loved it. And we're talking, you know, I guess it's early eighties, so it's the time where snooker's now booming on TV. Yeah. So, in terms of your development, and particularly in Essex, which is such a strong area, yeah. you had a lot of competitions and a lot of chance to sort of progress. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when I started playing was in '84. Mm. Davis was obviously still at the top, um, and he came into the into the Luciana a couple of times, and I sort of managed to watch. Uh, obviously didn't play him at that stage because he was only very young just started playing mm. uh, yeah but the, the snooker in, in, in them day, days was you know unbelievable Jimmy obviously was up there with Higgins and that sort of stuff 
Um, and and I, can't, you know, I can't remember it. Couldn't tell. What was the question again? I was just saying about how you the, the, the sort of thriving scene meant that yeah, you had yeah. a lot of competitions to yeah, play. Sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I can remember sort of my, most weekends I'd watch. Obviously, the finals on the yeah. TV with my dad, and most of the time it was Higgins and Davis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I used to love Higgins. I used to love watching him play. And I always wanted Higgins to win, but obviously Davis was the business, mm. and he was world number one. And he, most of the time, he got the better of Alex. Mm. Um, but great memories, great memories of seeing Jimmy on the TV. And I can remember coming in one. I think it was one evening, and I think um, Silvino Francisco was in the final one. If I remember, British right. Open, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and I yeah. can remember coming and going. Dad, who's that? <laughs> and he was like, oh, Silver, oh, never seen him before. Um, but yeah, it was, it was brilliant in them days. The snooker was, you know, always on the TV. You know, they were proper celebrities then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when did, when did you sort of realise you were good at the game? Because a lot of kids well, played in that time, but didn't really get any better. Well, to be honest with you, I, I started in 84, um, and another, another player at the time who played at the same club was David Grimwood. And as a junior, I think he was the British under-16 champion. And I started playing him a little bit. He gave me 80 start to start with and wiped the floor with me. And, and it happened within sort of a year, year and a bit, I was playing him levels. Um, so, But the reason why I progressed so quickly was because I spent every waking hour in that club. Mm. And even though I didn't really have any money, I used to just sponge games. You'd have the same, I don't know, 10 people who used to come in the club over seven days and play on their own. And I got to know these people, so then when he came in and said, oh, do you want a game? <laughs> and I basically used to sponge games all day, and, and obviously my mum and dad used to give me a couple of quid for the day. Um, but yeah, literally, I was paying people all day, every day. Um, and when the lights were off, I was still sort of playing on the tables, even though you weren't allowed. I was still playing with the lights off, and that's how I really progressed. And I think when I got to about... I think the f- I got to a quarterfinals of an under-16s tournament in Hastings, and Rod Lawler beat me. Uh, no, I think it was a semi-final. Rod Lawler beat me in the semi-finals, and the, that was the first time my dad said, "Oh, do you know what? You're actually pretty good at this." Yeah. Um, we was always going to like Prestat in Breen Sands, Hemsby. They had like five or six tournaments throughout the year, which was the pro circuit then, where they got their pro ticket. And obviously the under 16s, under 14 tournaments and that sort of stuff. And in 1986, I won the UK under 14 for the first time. Um, and I won that three years on the trot, 86, 87 and 88. And really from then on, I just always knew I was going to be a professional, however it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that's how it really started. And, yeah. and I've, always, I've always loved playing. Yeah. Still and, love playing now. Yeah, and you were one of the... The game went open... In '91, yeah, you were one of the first pro. Well, well, yeah, one of the first pros to to join the pro ranks. What yeah. was that like? Because there were hundreds of people, weren't there? Yeah. Well, you had like Bolton. Yeah. You had Bolton, Sheffield, and I think it was Aldershot. And I can remember spending my first. I think it was a month at Bolton. Um, and after my first year, I think there was nine tournaments. I qualified for the last 64 of two out of the nine. Mm. And after the first season, I finished. 209 yeah. in that ranking but yeah I mean it was it was you could pay to be a professional and that's how I was you turned pro um, but you know it was, it's just pretty much like the same as it is now with going to all the tournaments all the pros were at one you know playing in one club and that sort of stuff um, yeah. but, but the difference now is like you could, if you're on the tour now you could play Ronnie O'Sullivan first round. Back then, you didn't see the top players in all the no, no, all that's those right, places. That's right. Yeah. So, did you feel like a pro, or you know? Um, I don't know really. Yeah. I've, I've, I can't really remember. 
I, I can remember just thinking, you know, I've turned pro, this is what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, and you're right. And I remember I won however many matches to get to the last, whatever it was. I played two or three rounds in each one, qualified for two. And even then I had to win one more match at Stoke-on-Trent to play yeah, yeah. a seeded player yeah. in the last six four, I think yeah. the first one I was supposed to play was Peter Francisco but I lost the round before to Stephen Murphy at Stoke-on-Trent mm. so there was a couple of them but yeah you you was nowhere near the top players mm. and you had to win you know seven or eight rounds to mm. get to people like Hendry and, and Davis in them days you know what I mean it was it, I think it was better though because the you know no disrespect to the to the lower ranked pros but I really think that if the lower ranked pros started in round one and then you had it like like the, the staggered tiered system mm. 16 was at a venue 17 to 32 were round behind blah 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 I really think that the first year pros would stand a better chance of doing better and improving mm. playing their own sort of standard to start with and then going through to the to yeah. the later to the bigger to the bigger players yeah. I do really you, do think it's better for them yeah. do you remember your first TV appearance and the yeah, song first, around that yeah first TV appearance was uh, The Crucible ok yeah. Right, yeah, so you would do yeah, yeah <laughs> ni- 1994 yeah. Darren Morgan yeah. 4-1 up lost yeah. 10-5 um, but I can remember the cameraman obviously at the time he was zooming in and I was going what are you doing <laughs> like you know but obviously that was how they did it <laughs> keep still we are you know what I mean moaning at the cameraman but obviously at that time it was my first time yeah. on TV didn't really know what was happening uh, you know but I had a, had a fantastic time and I can remember Jimmy coming up to me uh, and I'd never met Jimmy before and he was so welcoming yeah, yeah. you know what I mean he's the same now he's different yeah. class and he remember him saying to me, you know, go and enjoy it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And made you feel really comfortable. And Parrot was another one when I, I was growing up. But when we used to go out press that in places like that, myself and Ronnie, he sort of, he, he never really stood away from the youngsters. Mm. He was always sitting in, in the uh, bar with his wife mm. and his little ones. And, you know, just really very uh, open to everyone speaking to him and not really, you know, not saying he was up his own. He, he was a nice fellow yeah, and he yeah, was yeah. really down to earth and made you feel welcome and, and another another player that yeah. that um, was nice yeah with Parrot and, yeah. and Jimmy yeah so you got to the Crucible did you feel then because that's a big step playing there yeah. it's like the, the holy grail isn't it did yeah. you think then actually this is a major step forward although you didn't win the match you'd played there it was something to build on um, no I don't think I did mm. I just think I played there and you know I enjoyed it and sort of like rabbits in the headlights I suppose um, but it was just on to the next one. It was on to the next year and try and improve my ranking and that sort of stuff. I think I went from 2009 to the first season. Mind you, 94 when I was a pro, three years then. I think uh, I sort of gradually every year I, I moved up a few places, 70 places, then it was 10 places. Uh, but obviously, I think at that time there was nine or 10 tournaments then. Um, and then obviously the tournaments gradually sort of fizzled out and we ended up with six, obviously. But now, obviously, it's brilliant now with 20 odd tournaments a year. No, no one can complain now. It's, it's fantastic. Around this time, you you practicing with Steve, were you, Steve Davis? I started practicing with Steve. I think, oh my God, I think I was in my early 20s. I think yeah. it was when. Can you remember the year when sort of Davis came to the end of his hmm. dominance, and then Hendry sort of took over? Yeah, so it's sort of early 90s. Yeah, early 90s. Yeah. I, yeah, I started practicing with Davis in the match room and. Honestly, the, the knowledge and experience that he gave to me, you know, for nothing, was priceless and still 
hold it, you know, close to my heart now, sort of thing. But great, great person, great player, and you know, he didn't need to play me. He didn't yeah. need to play me. But I think, I think because the game was moving on to sort of like more attacking, where I was sort of a, just a bit of a potter. I think he ne- he sort of needed that to because uh, how the game was going, he sort of need. It doesn't say he needed me, but the way I played suited him to how he played. So he could sort of get more of a gist on the game going forward, that sort of stuff. But yeah, pr- priceless practice games with him, you know, knowledge and safety battles. And and we used to play best of seven, best of nine for the lunch. And oh my God, it was like blood. It was literally like, and remember a couple of, I didn't win very often, but a couple of times I won like five, four on the pink. You know, I, I don't think he spoke to me all afternoon after that. Uh, but yeah, great times, absolutely fantastic times. And, Always remember his dad sitting in the corner with his his big cigar and his bottle of Budweiser sitting there chilling out all day, bless him. Um, Yeah, great times, great times. Okay, so I guess your first real step forward, you got to the final of the Welsh Open, 97, in Newport. You'd have been, what, 23, 22, 23? 23, yeah. 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 So that that must have felt like a step forward. Yeah, yeah, massively. I think I remember I played Steve the first round at the Welsh and I beat him 5-4 in the black... Uh, and I should have lost. And then I played Michael Judge after that, Tony Chappell, Fergal, and then I, I was three, what, three or four one down to Mark Williams in the semi one six five. And then I played Andrew in the final, and it was just like a whipping. <laughs> it was a complete and utter whipping, and, and like. But he was so used to finals, wasn't he? And it's your first one, so yeah, already I mean, he's an advantage. I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, I, you know, I could have played anyone else, and I'd, and I'd have had half a chance, yeah. but. Playing Stephen in my first final, you know, when he's at his number. I remember, I remember breaking off, I left him along ready, made 140. Mm. And then the second frame, he broke off, I played safe, he knocked a long red 104. <laughs> I just sat in my chair, and at the time you could smoke then. Yeah. Smoked about 10 fags watching him <laughs> just make break upon break and, and thought, do you know what, if I really want to be, you know, world number one or, or win events, you know, that, that's how far behind I was, you know. Fantastic player, you know, mm. great player as well, mm. great person. Mm. But it obviously helped you get in the top 16, and then a couple of years later, you made your Masters debut, which was pretty memorable. You've beaten Jimmy yeah. 6 5, Peter Ebden 6 5 at the old conference centre, which was a pretty forbidding tour best venue. One. Best, uh, best uh, Masters venue yeah. by far. Yeah, obviously, um, with it being sort of my local place, and obviously Jimmy's as well, <laughs> I had so many, I had about 800 people come, yeah. and obviously Jimmy had all the rest, whatever. But yeah, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. I can remember, yeah, winning 6-5 on the pink. Um, and it felt like a final. And then I played Peter the next match and that went on for about three and a half weeks. Um, <laughs> I remember us getting pulled off at 5-4 down. I had to go back to my hotel and end up winning 6-5, I think, on a re-spot. Um, yeah, and, and I played Higgins and got me bum-whipped 6-1 in the quarters. But, yeah, the, the conference centre, the people were so close to you. And you know the atmosphere was a bit like the Crucible. It was so close, and you could hear a pin drop. Mm. And it's a shame, really, because it, it was a fantastic venue. Shame mm. I ain't there anymore. Mm. But that's what it's about as a pro, isn't it? Like the Crucible, the Conference Centre, because a lot of tournaments, you know, you can be playing maybe table four or five, and yeah. people won't necessarily see you, but they're going to see you there. That's like centre stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Crucible, uh, the Masters, Conference Centre, them, them, they're just so close to you, and and that's why people find it so hard to play at like the Crucible mm. because it's such a daunting place and you 
you can play it's I, I, me personally I think it's so hard to play well there because there's so many things going on and you've got to be and now and they you know for 17 days they they can I don't know how they do it because like when when I played in, in here last year in Ireland and it was for a week I was literally zonked and it yeah. was only a week and that was only best of sevens yeah. you know they're playing best of 19s best of 25s first of 17 for, oh my god I, I literally I'd have to put a new head on <laughs> I'll have a week off 17 days of that mm. you know 100% fueled snooker is mm. just unbelievable mm. let's go on to the Irish Masters then that was your second ranking final 2004 and you've beaten some great players to get to the final you've beaten Fergal Stephen Andrew Jimmy White Graham Dock Ken Doherty and yeah. then you've come up against Ebden and, and running very close yeah yeah I think that was probably the even though it was my second final that, that was one I thought well do you know what I'll I, I fancy I can win this mm. not oh, I'm going to win this whatever because Pete you know Pete you got to drag Peter off the table um, and end up losing 10-7 I think and I remember playing half decent but I just missed a couple of vital balls at vital times um, and, and obviously Peter beat me and he came out with one of the worst statements ever after he beat me 10-7 and he said uh yeah, I've been practicing so hard. That's why I've got all the luck. <laughs> like basically, say so if I practice fifteen hours a day, I'm going to get more luck than everyone else. Complete load of old crap, Pete. Um, yeah, so you know it was a disappointment, but at the same time, it you know it was another positive in the right direction. As you said, beat some really good players. Um, I mean, to get to any final at any stage in any careers is a good feat for anyone. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was just nice to reflect on. Obviously, gutted I lost, but you know it was just the way it went. It was yeah. Just one one step too far at that time. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on now to the one of one of the more unusual things that you've done, which was your fight with Quinton Ham. Okay. Okay. Now, just to, so everyone know, <laughs> everyone knows what happened. So Quinton's playing Andy Hicks at the Crucible. There's yeah. a bit of verbal between them. They have to be basically separated at the yeah, end. Yeah. Yeah. And Quinton basically says, I'm, "I want to fight you for yeah. fifty grand." Yeah. Andy does not want to fight him. He yeah. Bought, no thanks. But then you come into the picture and you end up at, at your court, Bethel yeah. Green, having a boxing match. Yeah. How, what, how did all that happen? Well, it was, it, 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 to be honest with you, it was all bent at the start with because yeah. uh, the promoter at the time, George Barnby, he, he was obviously sponsoring Quinton. And obviously it was all in the paper, I want to fight Andy X, blah, blah, blah. And I can remember getting beat 10-9 by Graham Dot at the Crucible. And then they asked me about it, and it, was, it weren't like, oh, I just said, well, if he wants to give me 10 grand, I'll fight him. Like, just for a bit of banter, I wasn't, weren't even serious. And then a couple of days later, George rung me up and went, well, do you want to fight him? And I went, what? Really? And he said, yeah, he said, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, cut a long story short, I went and met him. We had a deal, whatever, finances, how much I was going to get, blah, blah, blah. And then it just absolutely took off. I mean, it was in the sun yeah. the next day. Pop whack, they call yeah, it. Yeah, pop whack. And <laughs> literally, 1,500 people sold out at your call. And uh, even though I'm a shitboxer, um, and it was one of them nights that I'll never forget because the atmosphere was electric. Um, we all thought you'd win because you yeah, can handle yourself. You know, listen, to be, to be fair, people think I've never, never boxed in my yeah. life ever. And the worst thing about it was... He's, he had 15 fights in Australia, kickboxing, tie boxing. So obviously he knew what he was doing. We're like, I thought we was going to go in windmills and all that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I remember coming out and walking out to him slowly. And I remember taking a jab. And as my jab got about, I don't know, half a foot from his face, I remember getting a jab to the nose. And I remember wiping my glove and seeing blood. And then the Hulk come out. I was like, 
<laughs> and then within two minutes, I was so tired, and, yeah. and I literally cuddled him for the yeah, next yeah. six minutes. Yeah. But no, listen, it was, it was something that um, you know I ain't proud of, if I'm <laughs> honest. But it, it was one of them things where. I watched boxers on the TV before that and went, oh, I'd do him. Mm. He's useless. He's the worst boxer I've ever seen. I fancy doing him. But until you actually do it and you go through it, you realise how much of a hard job boxing is, especially to control your temper and obviously to keep fit and all that. So to any boxers out there, I hold my hat off to you. And uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I remember, I remember sitting in the shower after for about an hour because I literally couldn't move. Yeah. I was actually, <laughs> I was so tired. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Well, we're recording this in Belfast, and yeah. uh, 12 months on, of course, from your victory last year, which was one of the. I mean, there's a lot of tournaments played, but that was one of the most memorable moments of last season. Not yeah. just because obviously you've been a pro for so long, but just the, the sort of your reaction afterwards, the speech you made. Obviously, all your family were there. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that now? I mean, uh, how many times have you watched it back? First of all, um, I actually only ever watched it back. 100% every frame once yeah, yeah. I watched it once but um, I've, I've got a thing on, on my Sky Planner where it's the last bit and it's actually you yeah, yeah, that yeah, says it straight yeah. away 25 years yeah, yeah. I think it's 25 <laughs> years in the yeah. making or whatever of waiting and I've seen that hundreds and hundreds of times like if I, if I feel a little bit lapsed in confidence and yeah. I think oh I'll either stick that on or when I played Ronnie in Germany that sort of mm. stuff but yeah no listen that them um, them two minutes after I'd won and the family was just a, an accumulation of 25 years of just working hard and dreaming of that day I never thought it was going to happen and feeling so envious of other pros like mm. Selby's and anyone else that had that couple of minutes where their family had come out um, and obviously to do it was just you know the, the miracle that I had and never ever forget it and I, I want more of it mm. I do want more of it so that's why you know, I'm practicing harder than I've ever practiced before. Uh, working on new stuff, trying to sort of get my game together. Just need to play a bit more attacking. Mm. You know what I mean? Trying to open the balls a bit more and and just get on with it rather than sometimes I can bug myself down a bit. But you know, it's, it's the way we play sometimes. Mm. In the end, though, you did well to win the decider because you could have won the previous frame. You had that epic battle with yeah. the pink and the black, yeah. and you won that battle. And then he's won the frame on the respot. So you've had to pick yourself up again and get on with the last frame. Was that was that difficult? Or? Well, it, it wasn't. It weren't because I remember going to the toilet, and as I walked to the toilet, it was like um, it looked like a stall, didn't it? Because yeah, yeah. it was in the tent. Yeah. And I can remember Sally was sitting by the players' lounge. And Polly was doing cartwheels, and as she see me, she came over and she gave me a big hug. And I was thinking, you know, what am I worrying about? Everything got put into perspective when she came over, and I give her a hug and give her a kiss. And I went, she went, "How you getting?" I went, "Oh, it's the last frame." Blah blah blah. And I thought, you know what? Whatever happens, every everyone here I love is here. Mm. My family, obviously, apart from my dad, which was a sad thing. But everyone here that means anything is here. And whatever happens, I've done my best. And I went into the final frame and I was really positive and I never felt any negative tools. I never twitched any shot. I missed a couple. They weren't because of the twitching. It was just because I basically missed them. And I went, <clears throat> and obviously, I, in the end, I played a pretty decent frame in the end. Mm. You know what I mean? And, yeah, obviously, to win it was amazing, amazing at the end. Mm. And your speech as well, everyone remembers that. And I think what people related to, you know, some sports, golf, tennis, whatever, They'll thank their sponsors and it'll be very scripted. Whereas you, it was totally from the heart. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I d- one one thing I don't ever forget. I don't ever f- 
forget the people that have helped me along the way. And there's plenty of people that have kicked me when I'm down. But, the, you know, the people I mentioned, like Steve and Jeff at the club, have been there from the beginning and always support. He's still supporting me now brilliantly, obviously, my dad um, and my family. And they're the people that, that matter. And obviously, the gambling side of stuff is so far in the past now, it's, it's just horrible to think what a person I was in them days. And the, the worst thing was, probably at the height of my career, when I should have been doing better, was when I was gambling at my most, you know, the worst. So, um, you know, probably, it's not nice looking back in them respects, because I wasn't a very nice person then. Uh, but now, you know, five years off, and, you know, I don't even think about it now. It's not even, it's not even in my vocabulary. Yeah. Gambling, though, I mean, it's part of snook, and like you say, in the club, in the old days, I'm sure there was sort of bets going on, and, and now a lot of tournaments are sponsored by... Betting for yeah. so it's part of the game. Yeah. When did you sort of realise that it had become a problem? It had gone from having a few bets to actually like taking a grip of it. Oh, I think it was probably, yeah, probably not. I first went to GA in 19, 1997, 98, just before I got married. I knew I had a problem. I'd had one day, I'd, I'd spent about three grand, I'd obviously lost it. That was the biggest, the worst day I've had uh, in financial terms. Um, and yeah, just thought I need to go, so I went to GA for seven months, um, and then and then thought oh, I don't need this; these are all losers. Blah blah blah. I was still quite young, um, and then I went back at it gambling, you know, card schools, betting shops, that sort of stuff. And then in two thousand, I think it was two thousand and three, I'd been gambling still quite heavily, and I just thought, you know, I'm really pretty much playing snooker just to give to Labrooks or William Mills and that sort of stuff so I decided it was time it was time to do something about it so I went home I said look love you know you know I'm gambling still I need help blah 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 and I've been going GA ever since I've had I think three or four lapses in uh, 14 years but on the whole I've, I've done I've done well I've, I've only my lapses have been like a pan in a quiz machine um, what Bulgaria five years ago was the last bet I had I was in uh a casino I spent about 30 quid but the thing is where GA is in my blood it's been in my blood for so long now I'll always go back I'll always go back and if I ever <clears throat> if I ever do break out and have a bet again it would just be a very small bet and I just hope it never happens and it's just nice to have the support at home yeah. from yeah. Sally you know what I mean she's always been a great rock on my shoulder she's been fantastic mm. well someone else has been fantastic is your, your dad Bill who you mentioned I mean he's a character <clears> on the circuit in his own right isn't he talk, talk about like how important he's been to your career oh listen from, from day dot uh, from when I used to plat barking and you know when I was 12, 13 years old and literally you'd have an A4 bit of paper Stephen Bourne the owner at the club at the time gave it to my dad and that was the list of the tournaments for every weekend yeah. for the year yeah. Saturday, Sunday Lincolnshire, Manchester, um, Barking, Ilford, 128 players, a £1,000 a winner. And all my dad did was drive me up and down, spend all his last money. Because, listen, excuse me, my dad's not, was never a well-off person, but any money he ever had, he gave to me. He gave everything to me. And, as I said, I can't thank him enough for, for the years and years of, of, you know, financial. And, obviously, just being there for when, you know, he, he still comes up the cup now two or three times a week, my brother, picks the balls out, Loves it, and you know it's, it's just a shame he ain't here this week again, because he ain't got no uh, passport or uh, driving license for the minute. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's tough in that respect. But you know, I, I can't thank him enough. He's he's, he's put last last every last penny into me, um, 
and the, obviously the, the only way I can repay him was obviously winning that trophy yeah. and what was it like going back with the trophy to, to oh yeah it was, yeah it was tears it was tears <laughs> and cuddles yeah. uh, when he came into the club um, yeah he, he was just elated and even when, when we did the interview at the BBC uh, with Hazel and Stephen and that and obviously he couldn't he couldn't say two words without crying <laughs> do you know what I mean uh, bless him and you know <laughs> such a character yeah. Lo- lovely absolutely gem of a, of a bloke you know yeah. what I mean yeah. you've been a pro now 26 years it's a long time do you enjoy being a stupid player love it yeah? absolutely love it because the thing I like it more than anything is I'm my own boss mm. no one's telling me when I've got to go and practice I've got to do this you do that I know I practice harder than I've ever practiced now because I know I've got to put the hours in because I need to be hopefully one step ahead of everyone else mm. because listen the youngsters are playing 10-12 hours a day and not even blinking mm. and I'm doing me 5 or 6 hours a day trying to um, and that's the only way you can move forward as I said I've, I've, I started again in 2015 because obviously all my alignment was wrong I see Chris Henry um, and I've literally for the last two and a half years I've been working on that mm. so I'm still moving forward I'm still learning I'm still trying to get to you know perfection in that respect doing my routines every day and I love it listen I, I don't enjoy the practice as much as I used to but I love coming to the events I love the banter you know all yeah. the other pros and yeah. that going out yeah. for something to eat and, uh, what, about just, the, what about the travelling though because there's more of that now isn't it least. do you know what I don't mind the travelling I just wish the China events were a bit more few and far between in the respect of like you know we, we come back from Dashi yeah. played in the champion champions and went back to Shanghai you want them back to back rather yeah, yeah so yeah. I'd rather like you Shan and Shanghai together so yeah. you can go to that one you're only three hours from that one one two two playing journeys rather than four um, that sort of stuff but you know we can't grumble mm. it's one of them things we can't grumble because you know, we're, we're lucky where we are in now with the tournaments. We had six tournaments a few years ago. Barry came in, and uh, ever since he's been fantastic. And you know, well done to him. Do you ever think about this, the future? I mean, no one can play forever. Do you ever give, ever give that any thought? Not really, because I, I listen. I'm 43. I still think I'm 21. Mm. I still, I still think and act like I'm one of the new ones on mm. the tour, and and all that. And I'm ne- oh, age is just a number to me. You know, I mean, I keep pretty fit. I play football a couple of times a week still, and you know, as as long as I keep doing half decent, you know, mm. I'm still going to play. As long as I keep earning money, because I ain't going to earn money doing anything else. I ain't going to go labouring now at 43. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get me 70, 80 quid a day. I need <laughs> I need to keep playing. And yeah. listen, I'm still ranked pretty high. Uh, so, and, and most of the tournament winners nowadays are in their forties anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, whatever, whatever's whatever's coming, I'm I'm in for it. Excellent. It's been great to talk to you, and I've got to say, it was a great highlight for me last year to see you win that because I know how much the game means to you. Thanks, Dave. It was, Dave, it was just Dave. a really great moment. Thanks, Dave. Much appreciated. Thanks for your company, Mark. No problem. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.